everybody I'm so glad that you you tuned in out there uh, we're uh, this is obviously the Reverend Russell and I'm with the Debbie with uh, Reverend Debbie Blue and you're uh, you're on the road aren't you yeah right now I'm at a way station uh, near Madison Wisconsin I'm on my way to see my parents all right well I'm glad that you could uh, you know pull over and do a little introduction here with us um, well, what's been going on? Hey, I just want to thank uh, the people who did come out last weekend for uh, our Midway Relief uh, uh, community uh, food donation. We had, uh, got some food and we great mural projects. I don't know if you've seen the church, but Creatives After Curfew, this mural collective, was here. It's actually uh, City Mischief Murals. Yes, yeah, City Mischief Murals and Creatives After Curfew, they were all here. And uh, thanks. I want to thank them and thank uh, uh, Thomasina, who helped organize all this stuff. Um, the DJs were here, and all the muralists uh, was uh, it was good. It was a very hot day. Um, yeah, but uh, well, you should go and check out that courtyard. It's like totally transformed. It's very cool. So. It's, yeah, there's murals on the side. It's so transformed that we're now referring to it casually as the courtyard. <laughs> Where before it was a parking lot and the grass by the car parking lot. But now it does really look like a courtyard. It looks bigger. And uh, boy, and then it's going to be look so great for the uh, Feast of Jonah. And two, very excited about this. I know uh, we were so looking forward to getting the new PA system in the church when everything went down. But I'll tell you what, we have bought this great, great speakers. It's great new digital mixer. And they're all will be uh, we can use them outside and then we can install them once we get back in there so it's going to be good sound 
good art up there and uh, good liturgy and some music. It's going to be a great place for the Feast of Jonah. I think I'm it really will excited. be. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess, can we say who the musician is yet or not? I guess we were waiting for the final confirmation. Maybe I'll wait then, but there will be great music. Uh, great music. We're just waiting for final confirmation. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, so put that on your calendars now, September 20th. It's the first time we're going to have any in-face-to-face uh, -face thing. All, of course, all COVID cautions will be uh, will be employed. Yeah, uh -huh. right. But can't wait to see people. It'll be so nice, so nice. Because uh, maybe you get to hear us every week, but we don't really get to hear you. Or, yeah. So we're looking forward to you. Just, yeah. Okay, uh what else do we have to announce? I, you know, I, my mind is in Wisconsin right now, but I, uh, really? I think that's it, actually. I think we, that, yeah. Um, all right. Oh, I would uh, also recommend, I don't know why I'm just thinking about it, and it's been because I just, I just finished reading it, but if anybody could read uh, the story in the New York Times today about the whole the untold story of Breonna Taylor is quite good, quite compelling. Um, That's good. Oh, hey, I remember another thing you wanted to announce, or maybe you didn't, but uh, moving the pews. Oh, moving yeah. the pews. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. we still, we're going to move those pews back in place. The floor has been refinished there. We're going to put them there at a uh, great relaxing uh, distance uh, apart from each other. But it does take a little bit of muscle, ingenuity. And so if you can help, you want to help, either with the ingenuity part or the muscle part, um, please contact me and we can work out a schedule that will, um, you know, meet everybody's needs. Um, uh, so, yeah, call, you know, email me or uh, call me, 651-283-9758. Text me. That's 283-9758 in the 612. I feel like a radio <laughs> preacher. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you sound um, like one. Yes. Uh -huh. If you just put so your hands, lay your hands on the radio, just lay your hands on the radio and receive a blessing. If you move those pews, we can move it. <laughs> All right. We can just, All right. yeah. All right. What, uh, I think, well. This is the House of Mercy and welcome to it. Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, bring your peace to us. Make us aware of our clenched fist, flexed jaw, fight or flight twitch just beneath the surface. Make us aware of the fear and the sadness that we push aside. Sit with us that we may breathe in your peace and release, loosen, let go, trust, Feel love, breathe peace, feel hope. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you all and also with you. You know, you might think because this is a podcast, we don't really expect you to sing along, but we do. So join us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 28, I Shall Not Be Moved.
God of mercy, we pray for those in power, that they would properly understand their charge to serve, to regard first and fully those with the least power, with the greatest need, overwhelm them with the possibility of primitive compassion and essential obligation, and help us to set aside all bile and vitriol fomented by frustration and sadness, so that we might, too, find new ways to love our neighbor. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all of those who suffer from violence that comes from systemic racism, that we continue to especially pray for the family and friends of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and for healing for Jacob Blake. Comfort him and comfort his family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, give us the wisdom to confess our racism and the desire to be transformed, to get educated and work for reconciliation and convict those in power, especially the president, to confess his racism before more violence results from his tacit complicity or intentional actions. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all the nurses, police officers, doctors, bite squad, drivers, and grocery store baggers, for all those who must risk exposure to illness to help the rest of us live life every day in this pandemic time, who act to keep us safe, who care for the people we love, who birth our babies, who save our lives and keep us sane. Give them an extra portion of peace and a Holy Spirit-level immune system boost. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in our lives and those who pass through our lives who are in need of physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. We pray for those who are fighting the coronavirus. We pray for those who are living with cancer, or other serious illnesses in this chaotic time. We pray for those who we love who are dying. Give them every measure of peace and a palpable love. 
We pray for those who mourn the death of a dear one. We pray for those of us whose mental illness is magnified by this time of isolation. We pray for those of us who are facing these troubled times in prison. We pray for those who are imprisoned by addiction. We pray for those who are profoundly lonely. For all of these, we ask, bless them. Take them in your arms, hold them. Give them what they need, healing, grace, understanding, acceptance, peace. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. May our awareness of your presence never leave us. Amen. The reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. They said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give you this last the same. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My daughter Olivia and her friend from college were visiting a couple days ago, and Olivia, maybe politely feigning interest, asked me what I was working on. So I told her about this parable where the landowner pays people who work the whole day 
the same as people who worked a fraction of that. She and Avery both immediately looked at me with the sort of suspicious eyes that often accompany college kids, or at least my college kids, when confronted with the text of what increasingly strikes them as a patriarchal religious institution. Aghast and scandalized eyes, that is. That sounds like wage theft, they said in unison as I remember it, more vehemently than was strictly necessary, I thought. Not wanting to be defensive, but feeling somehow defensive. I said, well, I mean, the landowner did agree with the people who started early what their wage would be. And the story does say it was the usual daily wage, so probably not actually wage theft. Where did they learn such knee-jerk liberal reactions? Maybe it's not that the owner's being unfair to the first as much as he's being generous with the last, I said to them, but this didn't really move them. They're certainly suspicious of the man, as well they should be. They have not seen the man, the people in power, take even marginally significant steps in their lifetimes to deal with racism, sexism, climate change, poverty, anything they care about. Now, the pandemic. The institutional failures of U.S. democracy have so compounded over their years of life. They don't place any of their hope in the man, the government, the corporatocracy, police, forget it. And the landowner, to anyone raised in the throes of late capitalism, sounds like the man, maybe. So they aren't very likely to hear this story and feel very good about him. I totally get that. First century Jewish people might have heard it differently. But here we are in 2020. And Donald Trump is president of the United States. They aren't the first people to feel offended by the story. If we've come to believe in something like equal pay for equal work, it might seem jarring. But Jesus probably wasn't trying to offend by telling this story. He tells it to the disciples right after reassuring an anxious-seeming Peter, that they will receive all that they need and more, a hundredfold, manifold blessing. Jesus seems to want his disciples to glimpse an abundance so vast, an invitation so expansive, so inclusive and generous, that maybe they could relax and be not afraid. Immediately before this parable, there had been this encounter with a rich young ruler, after which Jesus says point blank, it will be harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Impossible, really. Except he says, with God, all things are possible. That might be the gist of it. The very best, if hard to believe, good news. With God, all things are possible. But Peter isn't calmed by it, it doesn't seem. Like, maybe he mostly just hears the impossible part and half ignores the all things are possible with God part or doesn't understand it. Because Peter says, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. What will we have? The disciples, it seems, pretty clearly 
from a variety of places in the narrative, have fear and anxiety. Don't really seem to believe that all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Seem to worry, like the rest of us, whether or not there will be enough. Enough mercy, love, goodwill, understanding, attention. Will there be enough opportunity, food, money, vaccine, health care, jobs, resources, trees, happiness, life? Honestly, looking at the world, the nation, the family, the answer is almost assuredly, heartbreakingly, no. Maybe there are a few people who are so privileged on every level that they always get enough, or alternatively, who are so practiced in the art of gratitude, so enlightened that they never feel hungry. But most of us live with a certain amount of anxiety, fear, and hunger. And in terms of enough physical resources, the conditions for sustainable life, the statistics aren't in our favor. The glaciers are melting. The doomsday clock is at 100 seconds to midnight. The worry is apparent in Peter's question that comes before this parable. What about us? Then Jesus speaks of the renewal of all things, the regeneration, and says, don't worry, Peter. Everyone who gave up houses or brothers or sisters, anything for my sake, will receive many times as much, will receive eternal life, abundant, lively, flourishing life. But, I mean, not really a but, but sort of. Then there's this parable meant to reassure the, reassure the disciples that they will receive, they will receive a hundredfold, but, and, so will everyone else. The eternal life is big, stretches out in every direction. It has no limits. The kingdom of God, the love of God, the mercy of God is never ending, abundant. There's space for everyone. More than space, you hear in the parable, there's a need, an eager, passionate desire to bring everyone in. There's evidence, like every other paragraph, that the disciples aren't, I don't know, spiritual masters or like especially enlightened beings. They aren't particularly bad. Maybe they're a lot like most of us, insecure. It's hard not to believe in scarcity these days. We're running out of everything. I mean, aren't we? Oil, water, kindness, democracy, species, biodiversity, unity, patience. I'm on a parent Facebook page for my daughter's college. It seems like it should be a fairly benign forum. But people are at each other's throats. It's a lot about differing views on how the school should handle the pandemic. People are scared, I think. Jesus probably doesn't mean to offend the disciples' sense of justice by telling this story as much as he wants to try to get them to glimpse how spacious the love of God is for all 
people, every kind of people, early risers, latecomers. The kingdom of God is like a landowner who goes out a million times to try to hire everyone and pay them all. Everyone gets a job. But hey, you know what? Say you don't even know if you like the work that much. Maybe no one hired you or maybe you were hanging back a little because you weren't even positive you wanted the job. Maybe you're a little suspicious of the institution. God's eager to hire you anyway. Will surprise you with her generosity. Humans aren't very relaxed generally about the mercy. Seems like there must be a limit to it. So you have to be careful where you distribute it. Not everyone's deserving. But God's mercy from the sound of this parable is more eager than that. Everyone who wants a job has one. Maybe some are late, not so much the go-getters. Doesn't matter. The landowner brings them all to his field. No one's going to be left out. Last Sunday, I was listening to a spoken word artist on the lawn of the church. He was part of public functionary, this black indigenous people of color music collaborative who Bethlehem, the church we rent space from, brought to play music. Well, another artist collective painted murals. Not a lot of people came out to hear them. It was really hot. Mostly the collective and volunteers were the ones listening. And I felt this sort of vague sense of awkwardness or, I don't know, embarrassment or something, I guess, because I thought we didn't do a good job of getting people to come support them. But they didn't seem to be bothered by this in the least. Bethlehem had raised money to pay them, and artists don't always get paid. So they were happy, it seemed, and relaxed. One of the spoken word artists, I wish I wrote the poetry down, started talking about Black Lives Matter and shame. He said, we do need something from you, looking at the white people. But it's not your shame we need. This really struck me at the time and came back up reading the parable because there's so much shaming going on these days on social media, wherever. Everyone's shaming everyone. You haven't been here long enough. You didn't do it right. But this artist was like, if you just showed up today and you never even thought of Black Lives Matter until today, until this moment, no shame. Glad you're here. We need you. Felt like a glimpse of grace. What if we could trust God's mercy to gather us all in? This is God's table and all are welcome. You may serve each other, one another, those around you during our closing hymn. On the day before he suffered, our Lord took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of all sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me.
Please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 11, Lonesome Valley. Jesus walked that lonesome valley He had to walk it by himself Oh, nobody else could walk it for him He had to walk it by himself We must walk that lonesome valley We have to walk Now may the radical mercy of our Creator move you and move with you through the days until we gather together again. Amen. <laughs>